Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod, where we dive into the hottest issues of the day with the best experts we can find. Today, what is it with America's fascination with guns? I mean, look, with so many mass murders at places of worship or places of work, at concerts, nightclubs, and yes, even colleges, schools, and elementary schools, with so many senseless murders on city streets and neighborhoods every day, with so many suicides by gunfire, why can't Congress or why can't state legislatures take even baby steps towards sensible gun safety legislation? I mean, can we really blame it on the Second Amendment? Or is it just some born-in American fascination for killer weapons? Should we just give up on gun control? Well, Igor Volsky doesn't think so. He's started a brand new organization with some bold new ideas on how to reduce the number of guns in America. It's called Guns Down America. Igor's also author of a great new, great new book, called Guns Down. Hello, Igor. Good to see you. Bill, good to be here. Thank you for coming to my WeWork, by the way. For the first <laughs> time you've come to me, I've always come to you over these years. Well, you know, you're, now that you're the important... <laughs> That's right, yes. Guns Down America. <laughs> right. So, Igor, let me t- let me ask you this. I've been a sport, supporter of good, sensible gun safety legislation for probably over 30 years in the California legislature, on initiative campaigns in California, which I supported here in Washington, D.C. And they've all failed and things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. Is it just time to give up on gun safety? (laughs) Uh, No, absolutely. Seriously. No, no, I I appreciate that. You know, I think uh, there is a sense and not just on the gun issue, but, you know, I think within political advocacy in general, when you look at, you know, the number of folks who uh, distrust the government and distrust government institutions, there's this sense of, oh my God, there's so much money in the system. It's it's such hard work. It, will it really pay off, right? Will things really change? And certainly on this issue, uh, on the gun issue, when you have such huge tragedies like Newtown, right, and nothing really happens, I think it is frustrating, and uh, as it should be, because it is. But I'll tell you, Bill, that you know I started working on this issue in a real way uh, at the end of 2015. And since then, between the end of 2015 and today, I've seen a remarkable amount of progress. Um, and you have to remember, I'll just say one more thing, that there was no gun control movement really before Newtown, 
There really wasn't. I spent, as you know... The Brady Bill? The Brady... Well, okay, but you have to... But that's the problem. You have to go all the way back to 93, 94, right? Mm -hmm. But between 94 and 2013, there was a real gap. You know, in fact, I, as you know, started my career at Think Progress, and I didn't even have to think about the issue of guns. I was a reporter, a political reporter. I didn't have to think about the issue of guns until after Newtown until after December of 2012. Is that how you got started? Well, uh, that's how I became familiar with guns. But I remember thinking after that shooting, when it was clear that, oh, uh, maybe there'll be some movement on this issue, I thought to myself, literally, now I can learn a whole new issue. So this is all to say, it's a very young movement. And I'd argue that it's significantly stronger today than it was when I really started in it in, in December of 2015, and certainly than when we were in January of 2013 when the movement lost uh, the background check bill. But you bill. think about Newtown, okay, the parents of Sandy Hook who came to the Congress. Yeah. You think about the kids from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School and they who came here to Washington, D.C. and had that incredible rally. If they can't persuade this Congress to move, who can? Uh, I think voters will persuade Congress to move by voting out the politicians who won't even have a debate on background checks, right? It passed the House. Now it's just stuck in the Senate. And frankly, Bill, and I've been saying this for a long time, uh, most Democratic senators support expanding background checks. Yet after the House passed the background check expansion bill in February of this year, only 14 Democratic senators bothered to even say anything about it. And by that, I mean like tweet about it. And we've been pushing and I've been arguing that senators who support this issue need to use their leverage as a senator to actually try to move this issue forward in the Senate, okay? You have Kamala Harris, you have Cory Booker, and you have uh, Amy Klobuchar, all on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Committee of Jurisdiction over uh, gun issues, over background checks. It's where the Senate version of the House passed bill is currently sitting with no action being taken. Why aren't all of those folks who are also running for president, why aren't they flipping tables and flipping chairs and demanding a hearing on this vote. Why aren't senators who support this issue filibustering and shutting down the Senate over this issue? Look, we can't wait for them to become president because people are dying today. They need to act today. We expect them to act today. Is it because the NRA is still so powerful? No, I don't think it's because of that. The NRA certainly has a great degree of sway, particularly within the Republican conference. But if there was ever a time to really lean in and to take on the NRA, it would be now at a point where they are weaker than they've ever been. They're having tremendous leadership problems and challenges. Internal and, disorder. Internal disorder. And you also have, Bill, prominent gun enthusiasts now saying publicly that they're going to stop supporting the NRA because of all of these leadership challenges, right? Because of all of these disclosures of 
crazy corruption uh, within the NRA and within NRA leadership and the fact that their board has apparently zero oversight over all the sweetheart deals that are going around for um, NRA leaders, for their spouses, for their family members. So this is a, a really a, a time, I think, to make to make a move. But also, Bill, you know, I argue uh, that it's also a time to really redefine what patriotic gun ownership means in America. And it's up to really, to some degree, the gun owners of America to say, okay, we're no longer represented by these crooks who've benefited from our membership dollars. We're gonna redefine what responsible gun ownership means. And I argue that it's not just about keeping your gun safe at home and in a gun safe and having a trigger lock, that you have a responsibility to your community to organize like-minded gun owners to really bring about policy changes that will keep those communities safer, that will raise the standard of gun ownership so that everybody can prove that they're using their guns. Okay, so let's back yeah. up a little bit and get the big picture. How serious a threat or crisis do you believe the gun problem is in America today? And then let's talk about some of the steps yeah. to resolve the problem. Well, look, you have 40,000. worse than ever? Yeah, it's yeah. worse than ever. It, it, it's at an all-time high. So the latest numbers are from 2017. We have 40,000 people who died from guns. Two-thirds of those deaths are suicide. Um, it's particularly uh, uh, bad uh, in in rural areas of this country, which is home to most of the firearm suicides. Uh, it's also particularly bad in some urban areas uh, of this country where urban gun violence, everyday gun violence uh, is a big problem. And of course, the people and communities that, that are disproportionately impacted are predominantly African-American and Hispanic communities. And it has also become uh, a problem nationwide, Bill, because you have families, mothers and fathers, afraid to send their children to school, afraid to send their children to some kind of public outing or a concert out of fear that something would happen because we are a nation. Or a place more, of worship. Or a place of worship, all because we're a nation with more guns than people. So, and some of the solutions, we've talked about background checks, right? That's a place to start? That's a place to start, but it's a, it, it really, uh, it should be a springboard uh, to much bolder policies. Um, and, you know, let me just, I guess, back up and say that on this issue, Bill, and, and you know I started my career working on healthcare. Uh, and I can tell you that it's wonderful to see uh, the folks who are running for president lay out big, bold goals of single-payer health care and Medicare for all. But I will attest to you, and if you ask any, anyone about this, they'll agree that we have no idea uh, of how we can take a multi-payer, complex multi-payer health care system like we have here in America with you know hundreds of millions of users and transform it into a single-payer system. We don't know how to do it, right? People have ideas, we don't know how. On this issue, we know exactly what to do. We know exactly what works because other nations have significantly reduced mm -hmm. their gun deaths and so have states here. So what I talk about is three buckets of solution. 
The first one is really regulating the firearm industry to ensure that they're no longer producing military-style weapons for the civilian market. And by that, I don't just mean assault rifles. I also mean militarized handguns that are incredibly deadly and in some cases even deadlier than what you typically think of as an assault weapon. That's bucket one. Bucket two is... That would include... Uh multiple magazines. Yeah, the, the you know, high-capacity magazines. I think it also uh, includes semi-automatic pistols that are using larger rounds that are coming at you faster, that are killing you. Um, uh, you would have survived past generations of, of handguns. Now you're more likely to die uh, if you're the victim of, of a shooting, particularly in an urban area. Bucket one. Bucket, Bucket one. two. Bucket two is making guns harder to get. Uh, I think you need to raise the standard of gun ownership. That means getting a license. That means registering your firearm. That means getting insurance. And bucket three deals with urban gun violence uh, and uh, looks at these very successful programs we've seen that are community-based and community-driven that work with the small number of individuals who are responsible for the overwhelming uh, amount of violence in a particular community and beginning to change their behavior and beginning to change community norms so they don't pick up a gun in the first place. Those programs have been incredibly successful in places like Boston and elsewhere, um, Oakland, uh, and we need to really scale them, we need to really fund them. A quick question on the, uh, that I should have asked earlier, on the background checks, are background checks today really worth it? I mean, aren't they kind of a joke? It's 24 hours. Well, it could even be less than that. Uh, the the typical background check only takes a couple of minutes. Yeah. Well, look, uh, let me tell you what the science says, right? Because we, as since you mentioned 93, right, when the Brady Bill became law and you had a federal floor uh, for the first time for background checks, we now have new data, okay? And what this data tells us is that background checks at point of purchase. That is when you are in the gun shop and you, well, here's the gun I want, and you take it to the counter and they you fill out a form and they run that fast background check. That while those checks are successful in preventing some individuals from obtaining firearms, they don't have population level impact. And what that means is you don't really see reductions on a population level across a period of time for gun homicides and gun suicides. And there are two theories as to why that's happening, why they're not mm -hmm. really working in the way we want. One is the system that the FBI consults when they run a background check doesn't have enough records in it. Those records are sent in by, the, by a state um, and while there have been measures, uh, including under uh, successful uh, measures under George uh, W. Bush, to try and provide greater incentives for states to send in records of prohibited persons, if you're convicted of a felony, for instance, who shouldn't have a gun, um, or other categories, uh, but that hasn't been entirely successful. So there are gaps in the database. The other problem is, is what we've come to understand is what really reduces both gun suicides and gun homicides are, are three things. One is if you have to go to an actual police department to apply for a permit, 
you have to give your fingerprint. Mm -hmm. You have to have an interview with some kind of law enforcement officer. That officer can run a far more comprehensive background check than just the NICS system. That there's usually a waiting period between when you want a gun and when you can get one. All of those steps that occur in a licensing system in a place like Connecticut or a place like Massachusetts, that has the impact of keeping folks who want to do harm, who are trafficking guns, for instance, out of this process because they don't want to go to the police station. They don't want to get their fingerprinted. And also, just as importantly, the folks who use a gun to commit suicide usually do that when they're in a short period of personal crisis. Most people who get over that period of crisis don't go on to commit suicide again with a firearm. It's the percentage is like 90, it's very high. It's a very short period. And so if you have a system in place that lengthens, lengthens the period of time between when you want a gun and when you can get a gun, that begins to save a lot of lives that we would have lost to suicide. And is it a truism, and yet true, that the more guns out there, the more people are going to get mm -hmm. killed by guns? It's, right? That's un, un, undoubtable, undeniable. That is fact. A study just came out a couple of days ago, Bill, that found that areas of the country that have higher concentration of gun dealers have what more, more gun, gun deaths yeah. specifically as it relates to domestic violence um so those altercations often turn deadly if there's the presence of a gun that you can easily purchase down so you move around the country when you meet someone who says look i'm not a big gun nut but you know i want i, I maybe i live in a rural area or whatever i want to protect my family i just i just feel that I can't count on the cops getting there in time. I want a gun to protect my family. What do you tell, I mean, these are legitimate people who have a legitimate interest. What do you tell them? Well, here's what I say. Uh, the Second Amendment is not an entitlement. The Second Amendment is a right. And with rights come responsibilities. A well-regulated militia. It's in the body of the it's Second Amendment, but it's also, Bill, in the body of our entire Constitution. Where there's a right, there's a responsibility. You have a right to freedom of speech, but you have a responsibility not to yell fire in a crowded WeWork, right? You have a right to freedom of religion, but you have a responsibility to respect other people's religions. You have a right to a speedy trial, but you have a responsibility to serve in a jury. Where there's a right, there's a responsibility. And for many years, the NRA has sought to rewrite the Second Amendment, to transform it into an entitlement. Why? because they're trying to help the gun industry sell more guns and they're trying to increase their um, their revenues and their membership dues in order to help Wayne LaPierre buy more expensive suits, right? <laughs> that's, that's the goal. And I actually think that it's the responsibility of gun owners who are responsible, the very people who you describe, to say, we must set a new standard for proving that we are responsible people who will use guns responsibly, therefore, because I'm a responsible gun owner, I should have no problem getting a license, registering my firearm. Why? Because I know those reforms work in saving lives. In Massachusetts, the most robust licensing system in America, 97% of people in Massachusetts who apply for a license get that license. That means that most of the folks who choose to own a gun can jump through all of the hoops it requires to get one. And Massachusetts 
has incredibly low rates of homicide, gun homicide, and gun suicide. Our guest today on the Bill Press Pod is Igor Volsky, who's the executive director of a new organization much worthy of your support, Guns Down America. We'll talk about that and more with Igor when we come back. It is the Bill Press Pod, and we're brought to you today by the Laborers Union of North America. Those good men and women of the Laborers Union under President Terry O'Sullivan doing everything they can to build a better America. In fact, that's their website, liuna, L-I-U-N-A, buildsamerica.org. Check it out. We salute the members of the Laborers Union. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Igor, we were talking uh, about Massachusetts just just before the break. Um, So, which leads to the question, to what extent is a solution a, realistically, a federal solution? Does it have to be a federal solution? Or... Can states pick up the burden here? Well, this is a great question, right? Because traditionally in our politics and in our policy, we've used state models to figure out what works, and then we've scaled it, right? That's how we got Obamacare, for instance, right? Massachusetts modeled it. We scaled it. (laughs) I think what you need on this issue, because part of the problem that we're seeing is the states that have more stringent gun controls have the problem of guns coming in from states that have less regulation, right? So for instance, in Chicago, uh, 40% of those guns 
I believe it's, it's 40, I might be forgetting this number, come from out of state, come from less regulated states, particularly Indiana, for mm-hmm. instance. Okay. And so what you need to do is you need to have a tough federal standard. You need to raise the current federal floor. And then I think you need to give states the ability to iterate, to uh, pass tougher policies if they so choose. Um, and I think that gives you the combination of getting over this problem of, of a patchwork, a cur- the current patchwork system that, um, that creates the problem of guns coming in. Um, but it also gives you enough flexibility for states to really figure out what works best for them. What, is, what states, you mentioned Massachusetts. Uh, what's, what, what are the states that are leading today? Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, California. Those are the big ones, really. I mean, Hawaii has a pretty good system, but Hawaii is an out, outlier, obviously. It's hard to bring guns into yeah. Hawaii from, from weaker states. Um, those are probably the ones, the Rhode Island, those are the ones I would look at. New Jersey. And, uh, and what countries can we learn from? Oh, me, One thinks goodness. immediately of Australia. Australia is a, is a great example. They, uh, following a mass shooting in 1996, really a, a tragic shooting, uh, really did a terrific job uh, in making guns harder to get and as a result reducing significantly their rates of gun deaths. But you can look at Great Britain, you can look at even Canada, you can look at a place like Japan, which you know also uh, culturally uh, does not view guns in the same way that, that we do here in America. Um, so there are a lot of different models. And, and as you know, I um, uh, was looking at these models to figure out what can we learn. And frankly, a lot of what they did is what I describe in those three buckets. So. That's the thing that this is no great mystery. We just have to actually have the will, or our politicians really have to have um, the ability, you know, the the drive to get this done. Do you think this will be? You mentioned earlier your frustration with some of the presidential candidates not making this enough of an issue. Eric Swalwell was the first one, I think, to say guns are my number one issue, and Eric Swalwell was the first one to drop out. Do you think this is going to become a, a big issue in 2020? Look, Bill, I... Or are you going to try to make it a Well, honestly, I've been surprised at how the candidates who are running for president have been talking about guns. They've prioritized the issue, okay? They have comprehensive plans to deal with the issue, and they have much bolder plans than anything past candidates have discussed. So you look at someone like Cory Booker, for instance, who was really the first one to release a comprehensive plan. His plan has all three pillars that I've discussed, cracking down Mm -hmm. the industry, making guns harder to get through licensing and registration, and investing in community-based violence intervention programs. Cory Booker is someone who has personal experience with gun violence, particularly with urban gun violence. Um, and so he's exploring far bolder ideas than anything you know Hillary Clinton talked about in 2016 or John Kerry talked about in 2004 or who did I miss Obama in 2008 right 
So that's incredibly significant. It's a testament of how far the conversation has really shifted and how the American people, particularly obviously Democratic primary voters, are ready for solutions that actually work. Uh, and and they're getting a good response so far as we see. Yeah, I think so. But on the other side of the coin, we are two and a half years now into the uh, Trump administration. Uh, what impact has Donald Trump had on this whole issue? Well, look, obviously the biggest impact Donald Trump has had is with the Supreme Court, right? He put on the court uh, two uh, conservative justices, uh, one of whom... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh replaced um, Justice Kennedy. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> what and, is his name? And Gorsuch uh, and, Scalia. And Gorsuch, Gorsuch Scalia. Um, you know, Kavanaugh is incredibly radical on the gun issue. Uh, he seems to believe, or he has said in past cases, that uh, so long as a gun is popular and commonly used, that the government really has no role in regulating it. That's incredibly radical. Um, it's to the right of the late Scalia. Uh, it's to the right of many conservative justices. So that's a real threat bill. And I have said uh, this many times that if the Supreme Court moves the current consensus around the Second Amendment, which by the way, in its current form, I believe allows for everything I've talked about. But if that changes and the court reads new rights into the second amendment into the second amendment, we as a country need to have a serious conversation about do we need to revisit um, that amendment because I refuse and I think Americans across this country will refuse to live in a nation where our hands are so tied by wrong-headed, conservative, legal, ideological interpretation that we will be losing, uh, you know, a hundred people a day to gun violence. I refuse to accept that. You're saying rewrite the Second Amendment? I'm saying if the current consensus around the Second Amendment shifts and becomes more radical, and as a result, it is impossible for us to pass reforms that will help build a future with fewer guns, we need to start having that conversation. Donald Trump has also appeared uh, two years in a row at the NRA annual convention yeah. and basically told them, whatever you want, okay with me. That's right. And a man who, you know, obviously at some point in his life uh, had warmer feelings towards gun control when he uh, did, was not in politics, uh, that changed quickly. And it's not surprising, you know, you look at how the NRA conducts itself. You look at the kind of rhetoric uh, the NRA uses. Uh, there are very close similarities to how, um, and of course, you know, look, if you factor in the corruption of Wayne LaPierre and everybody else, uh, you could see why the two get along so well. And I think as a result of, of, of the NRA hitching itself so closely to Trump, they endorsed him early in the 2016 cycle, they've really become an incredibly fringe organization that speaks to such a narrow slice of the electorate um, that I think that's part of the reason why they're experiencing the pains they're currently experiencing. And they have become, in effect, 
but a lobby for the gun manufacturers. Oh, there's no doubt. And and by the way, they don't hide it. You know, the Trump administration recently changed rules for how you can export firearms overseas. Um, that's incredibly important to the American gun industry because they're constantly facing this problem of we have a saturated American market. How do we get more people to buy our guns, right? They're looking for new foreign markets. The NRA was instrumental in pushing for those reforms and issued a public statement after they were passed saying what great economic opportunities this will provide for the gun industry. So. They're not hiding it. I mean, it's the, they admit it openly. Uh, so with a few minutes left, I want to ask you, um, one, uh, how what people can do yeah. who really care about this issue, which is an invitation to say the first thing they should do, <laughs> of course, is to join and support Guns Down America. That's right. GunsDownAmerica.org if you want to learn more about our work. Of course, if you want to support our work. Uh, we would love Very that important. as well. Bill, we spend a lot of time at uh, Guns Down America thinking about how can we activate other powerful voices in society to help build a future with fewer guns because legislative change, especially on the federal level, takes a long time, but people are dying today. Yeah, and let me and, just say, yeah. I think that is one real significant contribution that in your one year of existence, Guns Down America has made, is that you have brought the battle to fronts and areas that I never have seen mm -hmm. before, like banks, yeah. like advertisers, yep. like financial institutions. Yep. No, thank you. So uh, tell us about it. Well, that. so we launched a campaign back in April in the New York Times that pushed the 15 largest public-facing banks to publicly commit to not do business with the gun industry until that industry can be fundamentally reformed. Um, we're driving that campaign now, and if folks go, go to isyourbankloaded.org, they can see what kinds of business relationships their bank has had with the industry, and then off of that site, take action um, to push their bank as a customer of that bank to do better, to live up to their own values. So we're driving that campaign. We 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 were um, just running a campaign. You you'll remember that the uh, Ackerman McQueen, which for a long time had been the NRA's PR firm for over thirty years, and really created mm -hmm. their modern image. That they had ended their relationship with the NRA over this crazy interfighting, uh, and so we thought, well, the NRA is going to be looking for a new PR firm. So we uh, drove a campaign called Blacklist the. NRA, which publicly urged uh, all of the largest PR and ad agencies in America to pledge publicly that they would not take the NRA's business, they would not help the NRA sell more guns, and um, uh, long and behold, a bunch of agencies have, have agreed to, to not do that. So we think about this issue of how can you financially drain the gun industry in the NRA, what are uh, other lever levers you can pull while we work on obviously you know uh, driving changes through Congress? Several people have also raised the question of financial institutions, particularly the ones that run the big uh, mutual funds, mm -hmm. um, who are investing with, without people knowing it. They don't know their mutual fund is as yep. own stocks and hundreds, yeah. if not thousands, mm -hmm. of companies. They don't really know, and a lot of those mutual funds and have ownership 
from yeah, stock into no, outcome. That's that's right. And so you know we're going to be working on that as well. There's some great work that's already uh, been done on that front. Um, but I think this really opens up a whole new field of advocacy um, for for advocates of of gun control because you'll remember one of the great successes of the marriage equality movement was organizing corporations to help fight for marriage equality, to help fight for LGBT equality. That did several things. The first thing it did is it began to change culture, corporate culture and and culture in general. Second, you began to speak to a more conservative business audience. And third, you provided critical political cover for politicians to then come in and say, well, the biggest employer in my state is against this horrible bill. There's no way I can be for it. So I think this is really critical work, especially as, you know, realistically speaking, Bill, in order to pass the kind of policies we've discussed, we're going to need conservatives to support it. We're going to need conservatives, uh, lawmakers and otherwise, to break away from the NRA's stranglehold and think about approaching this issue in a new way. And so, you know, I, I'm very excited about a corporate work. And also convince some of them that they can run for office and win yeah. without the support of the NRA. And there are several members of Congress who are testament to that. Yes, that's right. Um, right. So, the <laughs> at the same time, faced with all of this, You've got the silence and the cowardice of so many members of Congress. What What is your reaction when you hear them say automatically, anytime there's a mass shooting in this country, we send our thoughts and prayers? <laughs> well, as victims. you know, that's what got me into this movement to begin with. I mocked lawmakers uh, who sent thoughts and prayers in the aftermath of the San Bernardino shooting in December 2015. And look, I mean, they've been thinking and praying about this for years. The problem has only gotten worse because the gun industry uh, is able, with very limited regulation, to pump ever more dangerous guns into our communities. Um, and look, if they are not interested in protecting the lives of their constituents, if they're more interested in collecting checks from the NRA and other interests, uh, then, um, you know, voters are going to keep that in mind as they go into the voting booth. Um, and I think, Bill, in 2019, 2020, gun control has finally become a voting issue. You have an entire generation of young people who resonated not only with the leaders of the Parkland movement, but with the 17 people who died that day. They understood for the first time, many of them, why they have to do monthly lockdown drills, why they have to walk through a metal detector. And so they're in this fight, not just for themselves, they're in this fight for their younger siblings, for their future children. It's in their blood and it's in their bones in a way that I've never seen before. So I have no doubt in my mind that the trajectory of this issue is moving towards gun control. The question is, how quickly can we get it there and how many lives can we save in the process? And 2020 is the first opportunity, or the and next opportunity. 2020 is gonna be a big opportunity, yeah. Yeah, Igor Volsky, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks Thank for joining so us. Thank you so much. And that's it for today's edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. 
Please tell your friends about us. And if you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. There's no better way to keep the podcast going and to help us spread the word. Again, many thanks to Igor Volsky, president of Guns Down America and author of the new book, Guns Down. It's an organization, by the way, very worthy of your support. Check them out at gunsdownamerica.org. And thanks to all of you again for listening. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.